The following program deals with military and veteran issues. All comments and opinions expressed on this show are those who made them. They do not reflect the opinions of the Church of Satan or Radio Free Satan. So on with the show. Welcome to the official Infernal Legion podcast. I'm your host, Reverend Jeff Bowling, commander of the Infernal Legion, and this is a special Sinister Scuttlebutt episode for the month of October, year 58, Anno Satanus. As everyone listening knows, October is a very special month for us Satanists, so we bring you once again a full house of my fellow Legionnaires, starting with my lovable and furry co-host, the VSO of the Infernal Legion, Reverend Dwayne Burns. Dwayne, how are you, brother? I'm doing all right. All right. And up next, we've got, back for the first time in a long time, the Director of Special Activities for the Infernal Legion, Satanist Raul Atondo. Raul, how are you, man? I'm doing pretty badass, man. I'm great. Right on, man. And joining us once again, the Vice Commander of the Infernal Legion, Warlock Rick Colmeyer is in the house. Rick, how are you, brother? Hola, bien. Y tú? No, I'm doing uh, great. <laughs> All right. Got a long show today. We've got a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, Magister Campbell will be on later with his latest episode of The Tower, discussing a unique and interesting way that veteran gun store owners are trying to combat veteran suicide. It's a really interesting story. I highly recommend everyone stick around for that. But before we get to that, let's jump right into these stories. We're going to talk about the story that's been at the top of every mainstream news media source for the last month or so. This episode is brought to you by the Warlock Emporium. The Warlock Emporium is creating bespoke items for the chosen few. The Warlock Emporium is the only authorized seller of items bearing the Warlock Sigil, created by Magister Dr. Robert Johnson, author of The Satanic Warlock. The Warlock Emporium is now offering a 15% military discount. Visit the warlockemporium.com for more information. The missing F-35 jet that the Marine Corps lost in South Carolina. Because <laughs> <laughs> we always start with comedy on this show if we can. <laughs> all right, the uh, article I have, and I asked all the guys to source their own articles so we have plethora of understanding on this. The one I have is from USA Today. Missing F-35 jet flew for 60 miles without a pilot who ejected into backyard after, quote, mishap. The F-35 Lightning II stealth fighter jet that went missing in South Carolina flew without its pilot for about 60 miles before crashing into a wooded area. The debris from the jet was found Monday after the pilot ejected and parachuted to safety into a residential backyard on Sunday. You know, those homeowners were thrilled to have a Marine Corps pilot land in their backyard. You know what it was? Some cobbler had left a crayon in the backyard, and it happened to be a red one. (laughs) It's been a long time since we've had Marine Corps crayon jokes. But many questions remain amid an ongoing investigation into the incident. The U.S. Marine Corps hasn't yet released much information about the most expensive aircraft went missing and crashed. How in the hell do you lose an F-35, Representative Nancy Mace, Republican from South Carolina, wrote on X, formerly Twitter. How is there not a tracking device and we're asking the public to what, find a jet and turn it in? That's a good point. Right. I seen somebody do this on Google Map or Google Earth. We're actually asking the public to give them any information on this missing jet. Mind you, the public in South Carolina. That's not gonna happen. They're gonna strip that fucker down and put it on their truck. <laughs> Find the frame of it sitting on concrete blocks out in the woods. <laughs> we put them wings on here, put some jet fuel in this bitch. The Marine Corps is handling the investigation, now documented as a class A mishap, according to the defense agency. <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps getting better. <laughs> that occurs when damages reach 2.5 million or more, and this aircraft, by the way, is a lot more than 2.5 million. <laughs> That's a class A. That's a class der fuck. <laughs> class der fuck. <laughs> a Department of Defense aircraft is destroyed, or someone dies, or is permanently disabled. Those are the class A mishaps. A two-day stand down was ordered for the Marine Corps on Monday as they searched for the jet. Acting Commandant General Eric Smith said in a release, "You just imagine the entire Marine Corps in South Carolina doing hands across America looking for a missing F-35 jet." Wonder how many times <laughs> it took to explain quadrants. Oh wait a minute! Oh wait a minute! I'm a class A mishap. Are you a lost aircraft? No, but I am damaged <laughs> over two point five million dollars. 
He was about okay. the size of a B-52 last I saw him. <laughs> I love you, Dwayne. You know it. I'll kick you right in the dick. First, you got to get your leg up that high. <laughs> the second Marine aircraft wing of the Marine Corps did not immediately respond for a request for comment on Wednesday. Not surprised. One of the things I do like about USA Today is that they go at the bottom of their articles and they try to do a summary of little things. And like, So I'm going to go through these real quick. What is an F-35? According to Lockheed Martin, the creator of the fighter jet, the F-35B Lightning II is the most lethal and survivable aircraft in the world. It can take off in, a sh- in short distances and is operated by the U.S. Marine Corps, the U- United Kingdom, and the Italian Air Force. Lockheed Martin had reached a $4 billion deal with the Pentagon in 2014 to bring in a new fleet of F-35 and overall lower the cost of the planes by about 3%. I don't know how many listeners will remember the infamous Chinese spy balloon that floated across the United States. Uh, what, what are we, about a year ago now that that happened? But up until this story... The only time the F-35 really made the news was for shooting down a balloon. So we know that the F-35 is capable of shooting down balloons and apparently flying by itself for 60 miles before crashing and burning. Sounds like a pretty good investment. Which is far further than the Marine flew it. (laughs) Details about how the jet went missing haven't yet been released. The jet originated from the Marine Corps Air Station Beaufort in South Carolina about an hour... Beaufort, about an hour north of Savannah, Georgia, a spokesman from the joint base Charleston told NBC News the aircraft was on autopilot when the pilot ejected. <laughs> Should fighter jets even have autopilot now that I'm thinking about it? That doesn't yeah. seem like a great thing for a fighter jet. Why is that an option? I- <laughs> <laughs> like a commercial airliner, I get it. I totally understand that. But a fighter jet? Man. I got RTD2 in the back. Want me to take control? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Archie. I'm going to eat crayons and kick back. (laughs) Was the missing F-35 finally found? Yes. The military located debris from the jet near Indiantown, South Carolina. Airmen from Joint Base Charleston, which houses military operations and wings for the Air Force and Navy, spoke to residents near the crash site about the operation to recover the fighter jet on Monday. At the end of this all, the Air Force and the Navy have to step in to save the Marine Corps' ass. That's how I read that. So Space Force? <laughs> Space Force is dealing with stuff we could not possibly understand. <laughs> Damn it, Jim. Like, like try to figure out what their new uniforms are going to look like. <laughs> try to figure out when any of them are ever going to see space. Where is the F-35 debris field? Joint Base Charleston said in a post on X, formerly Twitter, because they have to keep putting that in these articles, that debris from the jet was found in Williamsburg County, South Carolina. Residents are being asked to avoid the area as a recovery team works to secure it. So many people have trophies from this crash jet in their house. I'm sure they are listening so well. And, of course, the big question for this whole thing is why did the F-35 pilot eject? And, of course, the answer to that is details about what caused the pilot to eject are under investigation, said 2nd Marine Aircraft Wing Corporal Christian Corten. Tim Titty's real. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. All right. So I couldn't help myself. Sorry. The Marine Corps lost the most expensive jet in the U.S. arsenal. And we have no idea why, no idea how, and we're currently cleaning up debris. Don't even know if it's the full jet. Sounds like a clusterfuck to me, gentlemen. What do you think? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this one's better. No, it isn't. It's just more expensive. <laughs> Raul's up here looking all somber. Have you ever have you lost a jet lately, Raul? Jet uh, awesome? not I know of. It went 60 miles without a pilot, man. Miles oh. is a matter of two seconds. I mean, no, it, it, on. in the flight path of a jet. I just want to know what was going through his mind when he hit the ground in his parachute and saw the jet kept going. <laughs> He's like, oh, fuck. Gunny's going to kick my ass. <laughs> Actually, no. So Dwayne made a good point there. Talk to you me, know, Goose. 60 miles right. is a matter of seconds for a fighter jet. Right. And it was on a, He's not going to eject at freaking Mach 3. Well, true. But, you know, spherical geometry and all that, it still doesn't take very long to go 60 miles for a jet. And it was on autopilot, so why did it crash after 60 miles? I feel like it should have gone farther than that. That was its destination. (laughs) Uh, That's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, when when he was ejected, he was ejected farther than the the plane traveled. It was a stealth fight. It was an Allegiant flight. I was going to war with Spirit Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good 
good lord. Whew, I didn't this think that would get any worse. <laughs> Just keep the coffee coming. Uh, for those of you who don't know, because you don't get to see this or see the behind-the-scenes stuff, we're recording this episode at around around noon, which is way early to be doing one of these. Way <laughs> out of our time range. Usually over here, 1,800, 1,200. Yeah. Why is it so fucking light out? <laughs> what is this daytime bullshit? How do people want to be in this crap? This episode is brought to you by Underworld Amusements. Since 2007, Underworld Amusements has been creating, producing, publishing, and distributing curious sundries and callous broadsides. From the Satanic Scriptures by Magus Peter H. Gilmore to Might is Right, the authoritative edition by Ragnar Redbeard, Underworld Amusements is your source for the most dangerous books ever written. Visit underworldamusements.com for more information. All right, speaking of bullshit, this article comes from military.com. Justice Department fights to reinstate Bo Bergdahl's court-martial conviction. I'm just going to get into this one. I'm not going to go into a rant. I'm just going to read the story. The Justice Department is fighting a federal judge's decision to dismiss the court-martial sentence of former Staff Sergeant Bo Bergdahl, asking the U.S. District Court of Washington to, quote, leave intact the orders of the military courts. Bergdahl's conviction and sentence, which included a dishonorable discharge, monetary fine, and demotion to private, should be preserved, the Justice Department has argued in court filings. Bergdahl's attorneys have also asked in court that the decision handed down by Senior Judge Reggie Walton on July 25th be altered or amended. In July, Walton ruled in favor of Bergdahl's argument that the military judge in his case failed to disclose a potential conflict of interest. And then Walton vacated all orders and rulings issued by the judge, Colonel Jeffrey Nance, when Bergdahl pleaded guilty in 2017 to charges of desertion and misbehavior before the enemy. Bergdahl's attorneys have asked Walton to reconsider a ruling that there was no unlawful command influence by former President Donald Trump in light of his ruling that the Army judge in Bergdahl's court-martial failed to disclose a potential conflict of interest. Nance was asked on October 17, 2017 when Bergdahl pleaded guilty, whether he had any reasons why he might not be impartial to the case. He said at the time that he was a, quote, terminal colonel, and that he wasn't headed anywhere but to retirement pastures. But Nance had, in fact, just applied for a position as a federal immigration judge. Bergdahl, a former member of 1st Battalion, 501st Regiment, walked away from his post in Afghanistan in 2009 and was captured by the Taliban, triggering a military search. He was held captive for five years before being released in a prisoner swap for five U.S. detainees at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. In 2021, the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces upheld Bergdahl's court-martial and conviction on charges of desertion and misbehavior before the enemy. The following year, Bergdahl filed a suit in a civilian court arguing he was denied a fair trial as a result of his judge's failure to disclose future employment aspirations as an immigration judge in the Trump administration. He also alleged that the case was influenced unlawfully by Trump and the late Senator John McCain, who both made public disparaging remarks about him prior to proceedings. Of course, John McCain, a former prisoner of war, is going to make disparaging remarks against a deserter who got captured by the Taliban. Ding, 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 ding. In July, Walton ruled that no unlawful command influence had taken place, but he upheld Bergdahl's argument that Nance failed to disclose the potential. In his decision, Walton heavily cited as precedent a case in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, in which a military judge also failed to disclose his application for a civilian immigration judicial post. And their argument to uphold Bergdahl's court-martial, Justice Department attorneys argued that the Guantanamo case, which resulted in that judge's decision across four years being voided, was nothing like the Bergdahl case and instead should be held to different standards. Of course, they don't give any information about that case, so I can't judge that for myself. The department claims that Bergdahl pleaded guilty and requested his sentence and that the case had come to its rightful conclusion in a trusted court of law, the military court system. And this is what I was saying to Dwayne before we started recording. This is not a matter for civilian judges. This is a UCMJ issue, and it should be adjudicated by the military. I mean, there's no question here. This is not Bergdahl didn't do something that directly affected civilians in the United States. He did something that affected the military, affected his post in the military, and affected the lives of both people searching for him and whatever limited information he had that he gave right. to the Taliban during questioning. 
I mean, he did not. not really an he committed one of the worst crimes that could be done, and it wasn't fucking drinking and driving on civilian roads. Right. So you, you need a military judge. You need a military prosecutor. You need a good it. yeoman in there. <laughs> yo, yo, yo. Hey, we're at every court martial. He left his brothers and sisters behind. Fucking shoot him. Right. He deserted. And he, yep. according to what I've read about the situation, he not only deserted, he intentionally deserted to go find the Taliban. He wasn't just picked up randomly on the side of the road. He went to go join the Taliban. It just didn't work out the way he planned. And as a result, I mean, I know at least three people who were injured in the search for him. I think there may have even been a couple of deaths, but don't quote me on that. And then we released what was it, five terrorists back to the Taliban just to get his sorry ass back? I don't care what any president said, what any senator said, what any judge's post-military uh, career aspirations were. This motherfucker should be in prison for the rest of his life. Or at least here, here. give him time served for the five years he was with the Taliban. <laughs> five years isn't enough. I'm, I'm sorry, fucking hang him by the neck till he's dead, dead, dead. Uh, there was a time that that was standard operating procedure in the military. Exactly. And that, Desertion was an instant bullet. I'm sorry. I mean, that is the absolute worst crime in my book, to bail on your brothers and sisters, and then on top of it, to go join the enemy. Right. You were purposely, you, were, you swore an oath to protect your country, to have the back of your brothers and your sisters, and you said, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to go find the enemy and join them. He's a traitor. He needs to be killed. I don't remember what his MOS was, but no matter what his level of classification or access, there's always information you can provide the enemy. If nothing else, the layout of the fob that he lived on. So in summary here, the Justice Department is asking that the overturning of his conviction be overturned and that the court-martial be upheld. As of right now, I do believe Bo Bergdahl is free, but if this uh, goes through, then he'll be back in military prison, where obviously, if you can't tell, we believe he belongs. <laughs> he's, he's free, figuring out fucking his next jihad. Oh, how do you feel about it, man? That's a lot to take on. Like, he, he not only did he leave his hopes, he joined them. I'm surprised he wasn't, like, beheaded or something. And not only was he with them, he stayed with them for five years, and then he got traded for five detainees. That's a lot of fucking people, man. That's the whole reason he kept his head, because he was valuable. He got, he gave them information, and then they knew that America would fucking do anything to get this loser back. Yeah. And I specifically remember when the pictures of him first popped up after the exchange happened. They say that he was held captive for five years. He wasn't a captive. That man was well-fed, uh, well-taken care of. There was no, like, he did not look like a POW being returned. He had nicer clothes on than I wear. Right. And it was very, he was well-groomed. He didn't have, like, a dreads like he'd been sitting in a fucking prison for this whole time. Right. Now, obviously, you expect that maybe the enemy might dress him up for the exchange, or maybe the State Department dressed him up on the way home. But you can't hide malnutrition. You can't hide sunburns and things like that. He looked perfectly healthy. He looked healthier than when he went missing. Five um, years, man. Gone five years. Five years is nothing. You do that standing on your head as long as you stay out of your head. And he, commander said, you know, he was not being held as a prisoner. He went in as a friend. He was maybe fucking roughed up a little bit in the beginning, yeah. but you know, he, he did not look like other people that we've seen the Taliban hold captive just before they lose their head. So uh, he was infantry, according to his Wikipedia page. He graduated from infantry school. I don't know if he was 11 Bravo or like a mortarman or 11 Hotel, but he was definitely infantry. He was assigned to an airborne brigade. So yeah. if anything, he should know better than anyone not to desert your posts. Raul, you were an infantryman. You can speak to this. The infantry, uh, that's one of the first things that they pound into your head. Yeah, I was 11 Charlie. And it was sucky when I was over there, but from saying like this fucking sucks to deserting my post and the mentality that goes from deserting my post to walking a certain distance to join the enemy. What? It's, it's such a foreign thought. It's like getting picked up by a fucking UFO or something. Like it's right. something, no, I understand. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an something. alien idea. I can't, can't process it. Yeah. Very, very. 
Very alien idea. The, the whole thought process is difficult for all of us because we all signed our names, we meant it, and we kept right. it. Right, and that's that's a good point. It's it's always going to be something. Civilian opinions are what they are, and we can't change them. But for military opinions, I mean, each one of us signed on the dotted line. Each one of us completed our service. Dwayne fucking retired from the Army. Raul and I both went overseas and saw combat. Rick, you did your time, and you can tell anyone who's talked to you on the back end can tell how much it's impacted your life and your mentality and your way of thought. We're, we're in military terms, a lot of honorable gentlemen, and this guy is absolutely dishonorable. Honorable bastards. There you go, honorable bastards. Yes. Honorable bastards. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but at the very least, if nothing else changes, they should uphold the dishonorable discharge for this. Dude, I've seen motherfuckers get dishonorable discharges for far less. And I know, unfortunately, a lot of politics are influencing, a lot of behind-the-scenes politics are influencing this that shouldn't be, that that should have no bearing whatsoever on, on this case at all. We have jackass politicians in there saying it's unfair that we dishonorably discharge somebody for not keeping their agreement and it bars them from so much for the rest of their lives. Well, they right. should have done their small four, six, or five-year tour that they signed up for. If you can't do it, don't put your name on the line. And it's not the end of the world. I mean, Raul and I, we both went overseas. We both deployed. Uh, Dwayne as well. I'm sorry, Dwayne. I, you had a 20-year career. I forget everything you did. <laughs> But Dwayne also deployed to Iraq. It's not the end of the world. You do your time, and one day you get back on the plane and you come home. So don't forget he was with MacArthur, too. (laughs) All right, that took me a minute. That was a good one, though. I'm, I'm trying to, uh, um, hell, I can't even think of the word. I'm trying to get on Raul's show. <laughs> Raul's comedy show. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Even if it was like, it, <clears throat> even if it was sucky overseas, you know, you're still there with your unit. You're there to kind of help comfort each other. Obviously, it's sucky, whether it be in Iraq or Afghanistan or whatever, but to desert your post. Like, there was a few times when I was on a, I was doing security on an ECP and she controlled Point Tower. I was like, man, this is sucky. But uh, I'm not being tortured. I'm. I just have to wait it out, hour by hour, day by day, month by month. And I was like, man, this is suck. This is really sucking dick right now. Like it's really hot out here. I got to do this a bunch of times. Or I'm on a route reconnaissance with the rest of my squad, with the rest of the platoon, and we're there to kind of like keep each other awake. You know, I might be falling asleep behind the wheel. Like it's sucky. It sucks. I get it. But everybody's like, it's on to wake up just a little longer. And we accomplish the rest of the mission, and then bam, the next mission happens the day, the next day, the next night, and it sucks. But you're there to help comfort each other, and it's like, hey, it's just another mission. We're we're gonna we're gonna go back home in five months, six months, two months, and then by the time you know, it's like five days and a wake up. One year goes by really fucking fast. Yeah, yeah, especially when you're going every day, when your op tempo is through the roof. You know, in yep. in a combat area, and Bergdahl wasn't in a uh, he wasn't in the nice part of Afghanistan. Not that there's any such thing, but <laughs> he was in an area with plenty of activities to keep him occupied. You know, just, I was just listening to you, Raul. When you guys weren't out doing your necessary duties, when you weren't out in the uh, uh, in the trucks, and when you weren't out marching, when you weren't out friggin' doing all the nightmare shit you have to do, what the hell did you do over there for fun? I didn't get to go over. Played <laughs> the ball and played poker. <laughs> I had barbecues like being, and introduced my guys to weird movies. So it was like being in Florida where I was stationed. Texas hold them. It's illegal to play any gambling games. We had the colonel out there playing with us. When you go to Iraq, before it's like you think you're low crawling everywhere. Like the media makes it think that you're always throwing grenades at people. This isn't like cartoon G.I. Joe. I was on route reconnaissance. So I was in Humvees and we're always doing like uh, mission. I was doing route reconnaissance. I was in a Humvee and we're looking for the statement reads or, uh, we're out trying to win the hearts and minds of the local population. So we're doing route reconnaissance. Worst psyop ever, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hearts and that minds. Is, that like, is a fail on the psychological operations department. Yeah. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> Go right ahead, Roll. Sorry. So war is not what you think it is. Like war is the overall concept, but you, you go in battles and then you're not always battling. You're not, this isn't like 965 BC or something. It's all done a lot more diplomatically. So we're in 
uh, Humvees. We're doing route reconnaissance. We're checking with, with local nationals about what's happening in a local area. It's a lot, it's a lot of diplomacy. You're not, you're not shooting everybody all the time. Like I, Go ahead, Dwayne. I was saying, you know, I went and I wondered when we were going to start, you know, playing poker and everybody starts screwing everybody and, and you know, uh, drinking. And you know, I wondered when mass was going to kick in. That was about week two for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just still trying to figure out how Raul knew to bring up 965 BC, another one of Dwayne's battles. But no, Ra- Raul hit the nail on the head. It is a lot of, there's a lot of tedium between bouts of action. I mean, on my first deployment, it lasted 14 months. I, we had one ID strike that took two of our guys and then two random small arms encounters. And that was out of that entire time. And we were outside the wire every single day. So there was a lot of just driving around, hanging out with the locals, like you said, diplomacy, figuring out who needs running water, who needs power, trying to barter for intelligence with uh, with community leaders. And then three days out of that entire 14 months, shit hit the fan and it was really fucking scary. But the rest of the time, it was almost almost boring except there was the risk that something could happen at any moment in time so it's like being bored but being on the edge of your seat while being bored <laughs> yep. so it's You're... like trying to teach your daughter how to drive yeah kind of actually that's a really good description <laughs> that was iraq now and i had two deployments to iraq but i also had the one to afghanistan afghanistan was different Afghanistan was, for me, I was actually doing my MOS in Afghanistan. So I spent a lot of time sitting in the talk waiting for a fire mission to come up so we could get the guns rolling. And when you're sitting in the talk waiting for a fire mission, all you can do is just kind of sit there and fight to stay awake. And then all of a sudden, that radio crackles and your adrenaline jumps out through your ass and you have to run. (laughs) Wow. Adrenaline jumping out through your ass. Well, it, it literally, in the case of my section chief, yeah. <laughs> I got you. that'd be some rapid runs. <laughs> yeah, we we had uh, I forget what the situation was, but we were sitting around just try, fighting to stay awake, and then we got a fire mission. He jumped up and shit his pants. <laughs> <laughs> Bring me my brown pants. <laughs> and let me just say that universal camouflage pattern does not camouflage shit. I don't think it camouflages not. a damn thing. <laughs> You're not in the shit all the time, and like Jeff said. A lot of it was being bored and a route reconnaissance. I had my M4 right here and the armored 1151 Humvees that we had. And you're, just, huh. you're, you're waiting to get in a firefight. You're waiting to get an IED explosion. You're almost, dare I say, you're almost waiting to die or survive and fight on. But it's not like all the fucking time. So that's why a lot of guys that are over, well, I'll speak for myself. When I'm in a, when I'm in my car, it can go from like driving Miss Daisy to a fucking tire gets popped and things start happening. So if Jeff was my PC, my tank commander, and he was the squad leader, we could talk about, we can have abortion jokes, talking about how old Dwayne is. We'll talk about everything. <laughs> you know, we're just talking back and forth, creating camaraderie. That's become the theme of this podcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> The sad part is he's not that old. He's not. <laughs> Dwayne's in his, like, late and Centrum Silver. Centrum Silver. Stick that up your ass. <laughs> For those listening who don't know Dwayne, Dwayne is, he's older than us, but he's not that old. He retired from the National Guard, but he's still not I old enough to collect his pension yet. years old. <laughs> So he's still 10 years away from even collecting a pension yet. He's only three years older than me. Dwayne, I really thought you were like 58 or something. Just because he looks like Santa Claus. Just because I look like it. You know, Raul, one day you're going to be gray and haggard too. So fucking, when it starts, it, when it starts, it comes quick. <laughs> so in summary, fuck yeah. Paul Bergdahl. <laughs> Let's take a break. <laughs> you're here. <laughs> We'll be right back after these messages from Radio Free Satan with the latest episode of The Tower featuring Magister Adam Campbell right here on Radio Free Satan. Why start your mornings early? 
when you can sleep in late and wake up later to a freshly brewed cup of Radio Free Satan. Radio Free Satan is infernally roasted, with a complex taste to suit your indulgence. It's sinful, that's why it tastes great. So pour yourself another helping of this podcast and others at RadioFreeSatan.com. Welcome to the Metro. Your host, Reverend Jeff Ivins, brings you a weekly time trip back to the 1980s with songs from the decade of decadence, only on Radio Free Satan. Hail Satan. Well, man, it is now official. The Shake Higgin Road Show, the finest in rockabilly, psychobilly, vintage country, swamp rock, surf rock, doo-wop, this potpourri of madness. The Shake Higgin Road Show, radio free, goddamn Satan, I'm Clint Mopesto, coming at you from the Double Cross Ranch. Booze in one hand, microphone on the other, swamp thing on the telly, and the good tunes in front of me here at the computer. The Shake Higgin Road Show, radio free, Satan. Damn! You will excuse me, won't you? Well, thank you very much. Coming! Huh! Listen up, soldiers. While we're out here, you will be taking all commands from the tower. And I am the tower! Do you understand? Yes, I Welcome to the Tower, your dose of military news delivered with an infernal edge. My name is Magister Campbell, and today we are discussing storing firearms for struggling soldiers. The article is titled, A Veteran Started a Gun Shop. When a struggling soldier asked him to store his firearms, he started saving lives. This is from CBS News by Kara Dubachnik, September 16, 2023. When Caleb Morse got a call from his army buddy he served with in Iraq announcing he was in Louisiana, he had his feelings something was wrong. He couldn't understand why his buddy, who lived in Colorado Springs, had suddenly shown up in the South. Morse says he told him, Man, I love having you here, and my wife and kids love seeing you and everything else. And you're great to be around, but you would never move to Louisiana. A few days later, his friend showed up at Rustic Renegade, a gun shop and shooting range that Morse 39 had opened in Lafayette, Louisiana, about a year earlier in 2018 after leaving the military, where he served in the Combat Unit 2nd Infantry Division Special Troops Battalion. His friend arrived with his car and his dog. He opened his trunk and started to unload his car, Morse recalled. He started to bring all these guns inside the shop, Morse said, and I'm like, brother, what are you doing? Morse knew from his time in the military that often when people start giving away their things, they can be considering suicide. He knew his friend was in a bad spot, so Morse asked him to sit, but I grabbed two cups of coffee and when I came back, he was gone. He didn't answer Morse's calls. He left cold. He didn't answer his phone, but Morse still had his firearms. He decided to hold them at Rustic Renegade in case his friend ever came back. Six months passed. Finally, his friend called and explained that he'd been in a bad spot and wondered where his guns were. Morse said he told him, They're your guns, man. They're yours. You may want them back. And whenever you're ready, they're here for you. More than half of all gun-related deaths in the United States are suicides, according to the Center for Disease Control. In 2022, the CDC reported that 26,993 people died by firearm suicide. Deaths by gun suicide are at an all-time high and have steadily increased nearly uninterrupted since 2006, according to researchers at John Hopkins School of Public Health. In the veteran population, the problem is acute. In its 2022 National Veteran Suicide Prevention Report, the Department of Veteran Affairs found that suicide rate in 2020 was 57.3% greater for veterans. Guns are more commonly involved among veteran suicides at 71% than the rest of the population at 50.3%, according to the CDC. 
Somehow, another veteran a short time later came into Morse's shop and told Morse he, too, was in a bad spot. The veteran asked Morse to hold his guns at Rustic Renegade. Morse decided to set up a system that logged the guns into the store's books and gave the veteran a receipt and told him to pick up his firearms when he felt better. Morse says he thought nothing of it. Other veterans dropped off guns about a dozen times in just over a year, he said, when he got a call from Gala True. True, an associate professor at Louisiana State University School of Medicine who researches community-engaged efforts to prevent veteran suicide, met Morse in 2021. She was coordinating with firearms retailers interested in providing options for those in crisis who wanted to store firearms outside their homes. Quote, we try to create time and distance between a person having a mental health crisis and a loaded firearm, True said. The Armory Project was launched in Louisiana in 2021 with three retailers interested in providing storage. Through a Veterans Administration grant, True and her team provided infrastructure and resources to the firearms retailers to build networks and partnerships. Louisiana joined nine other states, including Colorado, New Jersey, Mississippi, Maryland, and Washington, in the growing number of communities that have developed temporary storage off-site for firearms. In 2018, Colorado built its first statewide map showing storage or places considering storage. Other states have followed by building detailed online maps that show retailers that can temporarily hold firearms. The Biden administration has supported off-site storage for suicide prevention. Suicide prevention experts know people in crisis who don't have easy access to guns will not likely find another way to kill themselves. Suicide prevention expert Mike Anestis, executive director of the New Jersey Gun Violence Research Center and a professor at Rutgers University, said no other methods are as close to as lethal as firearms for suicide death. Around 90 to 95 percent of suicide attempts with a firearm will result in death, while less than 5 percent of all other attempts will result in death, he said. In a country that already has an estimated 400 million guns in circulation, the solution just can't be about banning firearms or stopping people from buying them, says Anestis. Anestis said outside storage is a public health approach similar to approaches with issues like drunk driving is to take the keys and limit access. Quote, we've learned the best way to prevent the outcome that you're trying to avoid is to limit the individual's access to the method that can cause that outcome, said Anestis. Gun owners have to be able to make decisions that allow them to retain control over their autonomy as well as fits their values, says Anestis. Outside storage can be a legal and truly effective way to prevent injury and death, he said. Temporary storage also serves as a solution for firearm owners who might not want a gun in their home for various reasons, such as a grandchild visiting or if a teen or other family member inside a home is struggling. True and Morse both say for these programs to succeed, gun shops need to be able to participate so gun owners can feel they have a safe place to store their firearms. Gun owners generally can't just hand over their firearms to anybody they want. Federal law doesn't prohibit people from storing guns for each other on a personal basis, but each state has various regulations saying who can hold onto a gun and who is liable. Some states, such as Washington and Vermont, allow immediate or extended family members to hold onto guns if a family member is in crisis, but other states, such as New York or Massachusetts, prohibit the transfer of any firearms. And since states have such a patchwork of laws, researchers and firearm shops feel those shops can be the best repository for outside storage. But the businesses need to be protected, said True. She said one of the main questions firearm shop owners asked when the Armory Project launched was, if a person goes on to harm themselves, can the firearm retailer be sued and lose their business? Moore says that when he first decided to start his program, he contacted a lawyer who said, no, no, you're opening yourself to a ton of liability. What if you give them their firearm back and they kill themselves? Moore said he was going to store the guns anyway. He answered the lawyer, I just want to give them a pause. That moment in time where they say, look, someone cares. Maybe life isn't so bad. In Louisiana, the coalition worked to pass legislation that said gun shop owners wouldn't be liable. The legislation passed easily with very little concern, said True. Coalitions in Texas and Oregon are trying to pass similar laws, she said. In July 2023, the ATF issued an open letter to FFL and gun shops clarifying how to legally and safely store firearms for individuals. One option is providing gun storage lockers at the gun shop that an individual can open and put their firearms inside. 
In this situation, an FFL does not receive or acquire the firearm into its inventory, nor does the FFL assume control of the individual's firearm, the letter said, which can reduce liability for gun shops that want to provide outside storage for others. Moore said that two combat tours in Iraq, serving in the National Guard and then working as a military contractor in Iraq for four years, essentially running from my problems, he fell into a depression returning home to Louisiana. Like many other soldiers, he struggled upon entering a society that often doesn't understand military that served in combat. He says he survived due to the support of his wife, who is his high school sweetheart, and his two children. He says, I know what it's like to have that dark place. I know what it's like to have that weight on your shoulders, where you feel like, you know what? I suck. You know what? I failed. Since that first time, Morse says he stored about 100 firearms, if not more, for veterans who are thinking of hurting themselves or others, and installed outside stores lockers in his shop. And it's been a blessing, he said. It's been a big blessing to help people. I think storing firearms for those who are inclined to use them against themselves is arguably the best action one can take. I think, unfortunately, not a lot of individuals are always in their right mind when they have access that sort of that moment of clarity where they can just say, look, if I keep this frame of mind, if I keep walking down this path, then I am going to hurt myself. And so I have to get rid of the implements that are going to make it easy for me to hurt myself. I think that is a difficult frame of mind for people to get into. I think more often than not, they want to keep them around just in case it does seem like the best option. And we have to be honest when it comes to suicidal thoughts. It is not a weakness in a person. It is not an easy out. For most cases, it is literally the only option. They're in a place that is so dark and so painful that they don't see that there could possibly be an alternative. They don't see that there is value in any other choice, that this is literally the only choice, not a lesser one, not one that gives them some sort of uh, out of pain or struggling or anything else. It is literally the only rational possibility to stop the pain or the torment that they're feeling. Anyone who says that it's a weakness or, or somehow it's, it's, uh, it's, it's sort of like a giving up clearly does not understand. PTSD is real, and it doesn't require justification or acceptance from others. It is something that the individual feels, and it's something that sometimes they cannot get their hands around without help. So whenever you approach this concept of uh, suicide prevention, starting from a position of, well, it's just a weakness, not only are you doing a disservice to the individual suffering, but you're pro proving that you're a fucking ignorant asshole who doesn't give a fuck about anyone else except for your bland attempts at trying to wrap your brain around something that you clearly don't understand. There is help out there for people who are suffering. You can look into therapy. You can look into veterans organizations. There's an organization that I love to support called Canines for Warriors, which is a nonprofit that provides highly trained service dogs to military veterans suffering from PTSD and traumatic brain injury and military sexual trauma. A lot of these dogs that they provide to veterans are rescues themselves. And so it's this really innovative program that allows not just the canines, but also the veterans themselves to build this wonderful bond between them. And they can both collectively heal and recover together. I think that is a wonderful avenue of approach when it comes to depression and when it comes to suicidal thoughts. It's removing yourself from your own thoughts. I think that is the first step. And then once you're out of that frame of mind, you're able to then explore alternate concepts. And in this particular way, with this particular organization, caninesforwarriors.org is the website, you can actually step away from yourself and look at another form of life that is also suffering, and you can together 
work on rebuilding each other. Because instead of just wallowing in your own mind, you're now stepping out of it and looking at something else and worrying and caring for and taking care of that other thing. And that is arguably the best way to get through some of these really dark feelings and thoughts that you can easily never find your way out of without external support. And the reality of this being a program, uh, not the Canines for Warriors, but the uh, different gun shops offering firearm storage uh, for outsiders, is a great way to not only remove yourself from the implements of your own potential destruction, thereby making it more complicated for you to follow through with some of these tunnel vision thoughts that you know we can find ourselves in, but it's also a great way to create a safe environment for anyone else that comes into your home or your apartment or whatever, whether that's a, a, an animal or whether that's another human being. The fact that this would ever be a liability for gun store owners blows my mind. What kind of litigious, ridiculous society do we live in where that could even be a concept? Like These people are providing a service for people in desperate need. You should be thanking them and throwing money at them, not threatening legal action against them. It's ridiculous. I think this is honestly a program that should be countrywide and only at the behest of the individual veteran or individual gun owner who wants to take advantage of the situation. But it should be federally funded. No individual gun shop should be uh, having to buy their own gun safes uh, and store them on site at their own dime. This should be something that is a public health option. Every single individual, whether you're a veteran or not, should be able to go into any gun shop and store your guns safely if that is something that you want to do. And if the government genuinely cared about reducing firearm deaths and suicides from firearms, then this should be federally accepted and federally funded. Now, that's not to say it's the only option. Because again, there are nonprofit organizations that could also be built up around this concept or simply fund this concept for local gun stores. And local towns, uh, municipalities, and governments, you know, statewide and citywide, should be funneling money into this as well. These are people who have put their lives on the line for everyone else, for all of their rights. The least you could do, the, literally, the least you could do, aside from nothing, is to provide them an opportunity to deal with their own traumas and their own pain in a safe way, ensuring that they do not have, at their own choice, access to their own firearms, and that they are stored in a safe, logical place, like a gun shop. I thought this was a fantastic article when I came across it, and I'm so very, very glad that it's out there, and that uh, Morse is actually doing this with his gun store, Rustic Renegade, because we need more people like this. And you don't have to be a veteran to understand it. And you don't have to be a veteran to explore it or to support it. You just have to be a compassionate human being with a base respect for those that have fought and served for your freedoms. That's it. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to love every veteran or you have to go out of your way to, to help them. But simply having programs like this that do not put the gun store at any legal threat is a no goddamn brainer. So let's look into this collectively as a society because it is goddamn worth it and veterans are worth any financial sacrifice that this might put on any individual municipality or state or federal government. Like, let's stop just doing lip service and let's actually do something about it. Let's put money in these gun store owners' hands and let them create a system that protects not just the individual veterans, but also potentially a lot of other, uh, stemming the tide of a lot of other mass shootings by getting guns out of people willingly. Of course, I want to put that, you know, this is an optional 
program here gets it out of homes with troubled teens or troubled uh, adults and in a safe place where there's a little bit of accountability. You know, not everyone who can afford a gun can afford a safe. They are incredibly expensive. And yes, you should always lock up your firearms, but that also flies in the face of why you have them in the first place, which is home protection in most cases or hunting. And if it's home protection and you have it all locked up, the chance of you getting to it before a home invasion occurs is slim to none. And so it's this sort of catch-22. You have the gun in the house, but then you don't want to lock it up so that you can have easy access to it in case you actually need it. But then if you don't have easy access to it uh, when you need it, then it's going to be more challenging. So you may as well not have it in the house. But then if you do have it unsecured in the house, well, then it's then available for anyone else to use in any number of ways, whether it's self-harm or harm to others. So I think this is a wonderful program that can actually save a whole lot of lives, infinitely more than just veterans, but also because, you know, that's sort of the framing of this whole show. It's worth it just for the veterans in and of itself. Rustic Renegade is doing a great thing in Louisiana, and I'm hoping that a lot of other gun stores can follow through. I'm in Utah, and I'm, I got I to gotta reach out to my senators because uh, this is definitely something we should do. And if you're a veteran struggling... Look into this on your own, but also look into other help. You are not alone, and you can find a way to work through what you're dealing with. Canine for Warriors is one option, but there's a lot of other organizations out there for you to explore. So if you need help, reach out. You owe it to yourself. All right, soldiers, that's all I have for you today. Comedy! I can hoot! In 1966, Anton LaVey created the Church of Satan, marking the beginning of the Age of Fire and Year One Anno Satanus. In 1969, he published The Satanic Bible, codifying Satanism as a religion, the first time it's been done in human history. In the name of Satan, ruler of the earth, king of hell, come forth from the pit, bestow the blessings of hell upon us, for we are your children, and we invoke thee this night. In 2001, I was appointed high priest of the Church of Satan. In 2007, I published the Satanic Scriptures, further defining and expanding on Satanic philosophy and greater magic ritual. Satan full of might! Our allegiance is with thee! Cursed are they! The God adorers! And cursed are the worshippers! Of the Nazarene eunuch! For the past 50 years, the Church of Satan has stood as the sole organization to define and defend Satanism as a religion. And though pretenders to the infernal throne have come and gone, we have stood the test of time and will into the future. Visit churchofsatan.com for more information and read the Satanic Bible and the Satanic Scriptures. Knowledge is the solution for ignorance. Hail Satan! Hail Satan! Hail Satan! Welcome back to the official Infernal Legion podcast right here on Radio Free Satan. VA officials sound alarm on uptick in veterans benefits scams. This article comes from Military Times. Veterans Affairs officials this weekend launched a new effort to combat fraud tied to department benefits in response to fears that the rapid expansion of assistance in the last year could invite more scammers to prey on vulnerable veterans. The work includes a new online page, www.va.gov slash vsafe outlining how veterans can spot scams, report suspicious actors, and get benefits assistance for free. Department leaders said the information will also be woven into veterans' regular health care visits and interactions with benefits processors, 
to frequently emphasize the resources available. Quote, we're getting this into the hands of our regional office directors. We're getting this into the hands of our medical center teams so they can be talking to veterans in very plain language about this. VA Secretary Dennis McDonough said in a press conference with reporters on Friday. So far this fiscal year, VA has investigated nearly 12,500 cases of potential benefits fraud and provided support to 1,164 victims of benefits scams. Some of that caseload is linked to the new military toxic exposure benefits legislation signed into law in August of 2022, which for the first time provides financial compensation for a host of illnesses linked to war zone burn pit smoke inhalation. Anytime there's new benefits or new money that's been allocated to individuals, there's an opportunity for fraudsters and scamsters to come in, said Maureen Elias, VA Deputy Chief of Staff. What we are seeing is a large increase in unaccredited service reps who are charging veterans to file their initial claim, which is not legal. They're operating in a gray area, and some of them are charging up to six times whatever a veteran receives in benefits payouts. So I'm going to pause real quick and talk about this. I think every veteran has seen these ads come across their feed for like the Camp Lejeune water situation or the burn pit exposure or those damn 3M earplugs that were all the rage like two years ago. Do not click on any of those links. None of them are from the VA. None of them are sponsored by any official VSO. And what most likely happens is that you're dealing with someone who maybe doesn't even have a law degree, but presents themselves as a lawyer. And for a percentage of your back pay, and disability compensation will basically work as a VSO on your behalf. The problem is that percentage usually wipes out the entirety of your back pay. Damn. You can easily get a hold of any VSO, any of the legitimate ones. You can contact us and talk to Dwayne. A VSO worth their salt is not going to charge you a dime to process your claim with the VA. If anyone is talking about taking part of your money, Walk the fuck away and go talk to an actual VSO. Elias, an Army veteran and military spouse, recounted for reporters how her family was cheated out of thousands by a scammer who confused her with promises to use her veterans' benefits to help pay off her home loans. She said one of the reasons she was susceptible is because she didn't know how to check whether that company was promising what that company was promising matched up with VA rules and regulations. Ironic that that comes from Maureen Elias, the VA Deputy Chief of Staff. (laughs) Oh, man, the VA is not staffed with the best and brightest, folks. Not at all. So now we want to oversaturate veterans with fraud and scam information so that they know how to recognize it and do and what to do when it comes to them, she said. Uh, This is an important thing as well. Now, this has only happened to the Legion twice. I had... On two separate occasions, companies reach out trying to partner with us, and I knew there were scams, and I reported them to the VA. I have no idea what the follow-up process was. But it happens to veterans every single day. I just mentioned the social media thing, and I'm sure anyone who signed up on any type of military networking site probably is inundated with emails from these scam companies every day as well. Once again, no one is going to charge you to process your compensation claim. If someone is trying to charge you for assisting with that, it's a scam, and you should report to the VA immediately. Veterans and survivors have filed nearly 2.3 million disability claims so far in fiscal year 2023, the most ever in department history. I would highly recommend that anyone in the Legion who is looking to process a claim or re-up their stuff, reach out to Dwayne and speak with him first. At least, at the very least, just talk to him. He doesn't have to do any real work on your behalf, but just talk to him like, hey, I've been working with this company. And they usually have ridiculous names like Angels for Vets or something like that. They're not real. (laughs) Shit, I'll be back. Uh, He he can at least let you know, hey, that's a scam. Don't deal with them. This is the paperwork you need to file. and This is where to go on the VA website to do that. Part of the reason for all of these scammers being able to be successful is probably connected to our next story, which comes from Task and Purpose, once again, disclaimer, Task and Purpose is owned by the same company who owns Duffelblog, who sponsors this show. This episode is brought to you by Duffelblog. Read in the Pentagon and around the world, since 2012, Duffelblog has been the most trusted news source for the American military. Duffelblog is the first and only satire newsletter devoted to the United States military community. Visit duffelblog.com for more information. VA claims processors overwhelmed and quitting from high caseloads. Workers say the backlog and pressure of the cases could impact veteran care. Now, of course, 
before I even get deeper than the headline here, if there are losing processors for these claims and a scammer comes along and says, hey, man, you just got to give me like 10% of whatever you get and I'll work on this for you. That's very appealing to a veteran who is maybe not doing so well in their life at the moment. Yeah. Do not fall for it. Claims processors at the Department of Veterans Affairs are currently overwhelmed by a surge in new claims, a quota system, and long hours. That's according to new reporting, which says that many processors are leaving the job in recent years. A new report from NBC News looks at the difficult workload Department of Veterans Affairs claims processors are dealing with. NBC spoke with several current and former processors, or veteran service representatives as they're called, at the department who spoke of overwhelming caseloads, more complex and time-consuming claims, and a hard-to-reach quota system in place since 2017. The situation for workers has been more difficult due to a wave of new cases for veterans. In 2022, Congress approved the Promise to Address Comprehensive Toxics Act, or PACT Act. The act expands what the VA considers as causes for toxic exposure, allowing many veterans who served in Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq, and the Gulf War to claim benefits for health matters without having to prove a, quote, presumptive condition. It was a major win for veterans, as between 2007-2020, the majority of claims for health matters tied to burn pit exposure were denied. Since the PACT Act was signed into law, the VA has received more than 950,000 new claims. However, the influx of new cases for, from the PACT Act have put more pressure on the already strained VA workforce. On top of new training to handle the expanded eligibility for benefits, workers are trying to deal with extra work as workers leave. One told NBC News that it was easier to look for something that would discredit a claim. How fucking scary is that? Yeah. I mean, so many veterans trying to process this updated thing that's supposed to be an entitlement for them that's supposed to help their quality of life. And it is easier for the processors to find something to discredit the claim than to try and process it correctly. Does not bode well for the long term. For its part, the Department of Veterans Affairs has been hiring new workers to try and deal with the shortage. It added more than 6,000 claims processors this year, bringing the department's numbers up to approximately 12,900. But that has not solved the problem of experienced workers leaving, either from retirement or quitting outright. According to the department's own data, approximately 500 claims processors have quit or retired in 2023. That comes after 600 retired to quit last year which itself was a major spike over the 2021 numbers. So it's it's uh, it's an open wound. They're bleeding processors faster than they can hire them. And probably more importantly, they're losing experienced processors, and the ones they're hiring have to be trained, but there's nobody left to train them. And it's kind of a problem the entire military is dealing with on the Department of Defense side, because recruiting numbers are the lowest they've been since post-Vietnam War. Getting uh, It's getting weird out there. And, of course, this is going to lead into to kind of tie in with what Magistrate Campbell was talking about on the tower. This is going to lead, mark my words, and it's unfortunate, it is going to lead to more veteran suicide. Yeah. It's going to happen, and it's it's a seriously unfortunate situation. So we're not heroes, guys, to the people that listen to this. We're not heroes, but we like to do a lot of shit that's fucking hero type shit. For those of you that don't know about my background, I know Jeff mentioned it. I'm a mentor for Veterans Treatment Court. I help veterans stay out of jail and prison. I'm a caregiver for a, a health agency here in Yuma, Arizona. Just because I don't work for one of these other health agencies, whether it be Dwayne, Rick, anybody, anybody here within the Infernal Legion or whatnot, if you guys want to reach out to me, you guys got a problem. If you guys are feeling a little funny, you're feeling a little miserable or whatnot, feel free to reach out to me if you, if you see when you hear this on, on Facebook or Instagram or whatnot, we can talk, man. Suicide, it, it, it's a ripple effect. There's something, maybe it's the, the misanthropy in me, but there's something romantic. Bill Burr said it. He's like, comedians think about killing themselves like every other day. Like he said it a few times. He's like, I think about killing myself every fucking minute. Yeah, comedians and- are dark. Dark-minded people. Yeah. They, are, they are not clowns, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, jokes aside and, and jokes inside, brothers and sisters that hear this, I think about killing myself every other fucking day, man. Like, no shit. But if I were to actually kill myself, you're making this big-ass slop of a mess, and everybody around you has to clean it up. So you had a small moment of vulnerability, and you decided to take your own life. You decided to do something. 
that it it sucked. I get it that life sucks once in a while, right? It sucks a lot of fucking time. But it, everything happens in waves. Success happens in waves. Misery happens in waves. You're not going to have sunny days every fucking day. And you're not going to have a hurricane every fucking night. So just wait for that next hour. Then that next hour becomes that next day. And that next day becomes the next week. Next week becomes the next month. And the next month becomes a year. And by the time you know it, six years later, you're still with us. So if you feel like, hey, I'm not having a, a good moment, take a breath. Step away from it for a second. Take, drink some water. Think about the repercussions of the consequences that you're about to do if you blow your fucking brains out. And as Magister Campbell talked about, go visit your local veteran-owned gun store, and they'll probably have a safe that they can take possession of your firearm until you're feeling better. It, absolutely. I had to give my 380 to my buddy because y'all know the last three years it sucked ass. But I, I talked to it a few times. We almost did it. Yeah, straight up. It's a it's a serious problem that a lot of overwhelming majority, I'm sure, of veterans probably process these these thoughts more often than they like to admit. But it is always better to reach out to a battle buddy, to reach out to, even if you don't know us, the officers of the Legion personally, reach out to us. We'll talk to you. Reach out to, there are so many, you can't throw a rock without hitting a veteran on the streets these days. Talk to somebody. And if you have ever listened to this program to the end, I also have the line, uh, the veteran crisis line. Just dial 988 and press 1 when you're prompted. And it will take you directly to experienced counselors who can talk to you. Just talk. experience, it, it works. It, they're, they're there. And they, they listen well. They know what to say, how to say. They ain't some bullshit fat dude sitting at home on his phone waiting for somebody to call. I know right. I've called it a couple times. So don't 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 be too nervous or embarrassed. Don't fall victim to counterproductive pride. Exactly. Well, on that rather dark note, gentlemen, Raul, you're a stand-up comedian, man. You got any shows coming up? Shout out to Cody Beeson and Ninth Wave Comedy. Every first Wednesday of every month, we perform here at the at Brewers at the airport. Uh, showtime is normally at 7. Then the second Wednesday is Friendly Tavern here in Yuma, Arizona. And we have one to two professional production comedy shows where we, where Cody brings in outside comedians. And sometimes I open up for them. Make sure you follow the Infernal Legion on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We always try to upload Raul's flyers for his upcoming shows when he gives them to us. Yeah, <laughs> I've been, been slacking a little bit on that. You Between the Infernal Legion and uh, you can also find me at Raul on the Comedy on Instagram. Glad to hear you got a lot coming up, man. Dwayne, Rick, you guys got anything coming up this month? Colonoscopy. <laughs> that's about the most exciting thing I got going right now. Actually, that's uh, hey, Dwayne, you got surgery coming up this month too. I do. Finally, get my arm taken care of on the thirtieth. So Rick and Dwayne will be getting surgery while Raul is doing comedy. And as for me, you can check me out live on the Rob Taylor Report, October 23rd at 8 p.m. Pacific Time on KWRO, where I will be discussing Satanism and the Church of Satan. In Coos Bay, Oregon, KWRO is 6.30 a.m. on your radio dial, or you can listen live at KWRO.com. Once again, that is October 23rd, the Rob Taylor Report with yours truly, Reverend Jeff Bowling. Well, Raul, Rick, thank you for joining us once again on this Sinister Scuttlebutt episode of the official Infernal Legion podcast. Next month is Veterans Day, and you know we always do something special for that. Yeah. Yeah, man. So make sure you stay tuned right here on Radio Free Satan to the official Infernal Legion podcast. And until we do this again, gentlemen, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. There is a new veteran crisis hotline number. If you or a veteran you know are experiencing a crisis, please dial 988 and press 1. Once again, that is 988 and press 1 when prompted.